head transplantations, and find the inspiration for speculative fiction behind the podcast of episode EF4. Welcome to episode EF19 of the Evolve Faster podcast. Quick spoiler alert, this is a behind the podcast looking back at episode EF4, which was season one, episode two of the Evolve Faster podcast, titled The Decapitation of Reason, A Skeptic's Guide. The driving question for this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is how can you know anything? I'm going to read one paragraph from the website describing the episode to remind you of what this was about. At the height of his success, a controversial philosopher named Ian Ament reveals a dangerous plan to do a head transplant swap with his brother. Nobody knows why, and both the scientific and medical communities at large are very concerned. In a tense live interview being viewed around the world with a potential surgeon, Dr. Ross Hunter, Ament methodically explains his reasoning. Yet his reasons only bring more questions. Is there something more behind Amin's plan? For the next 60 minutes of this interview, the historical arc of reason and Ian's head are both on the chopping block as we wait to find out if the axe will fall. Dramatic. Um, so we have knowledge that thanks to the things like the laws of physics are assumed to be unchangeable. But change that perspective and you realize the twisted nature behind every piece of knowledge humanity ever grasped or harnessed. What happens to all of our knowledge if the language it's written in changes? What about if you change the planet or the solar system? If we go outside the rational knowledge of physics, math, and so on, it gets even more complex. Is there a baseline for true knowledge? And can we really know anything? If we had a time machine and could go back all the way to when this podcast was barely in diapers, but safely hidden in my mental womb, in my head, you'd probably find me in a half-dark room after bedtime, nervously gazing at my laptop screen. And you'd probably think, why is he so worried? But like with any project, after the initial rush and excitement fade out, you enter a stage of doubt, especially when there's so many unknowns as there were in this project about getting it off the ground, the amount of work it would take. Did I have the skills to write it? Was there a long-term vision for it? I mean, you know, there was a lot of things and this was very early on. So I already started drafting the first season at that point. And what I thought were 12 fully baked episodes ended up being 12 heavily undercooked dishes that you shouldn't serve under any circumstance to your guests a chef's nightmare. I mean, they might even cause people to get sick. So you start wondering when you're in this situation, does what I'm doing have any actual meaning? What's the point? And why am I doing this? I decided to move on no matter what. And after a decent amount of time running in what seemed like complete darkness, this episode was one of the first to appear to be a potential light at the end of the tunnel that in fact wasn't a train. Maybe not a light, maybe more of a comforting spark that gave me some confidence to keep going. A small spark, but an important one. So before I explain why this particular episode helped me move through that dark period, I'd like to give you an overview of how it came to be by answering a series of questions. You can always submit questions for episodes at evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. So here's the 
questions we're going to try to run through, and then I'll circle back to this story if it hasn't already become clear what happened. Here's the questions we're going to try to tackle. So I remember hearing when this head transplant operation almost happened in real life, were you inspired by that? So let me quote the episode. The next 60 minutes could start humanity down an irreversible path to not only the decapitation of Ian's head, but of reason itself. It's my favorite line. Um, so yes, the potential, obviously I turned, the, turned it into the title as well. So yes, the potential surgery certainly had a huge impact on wanting to do this episode. It wasn't originally t- attached to this episode though. Back when the case of Dr. Canavero's head transplant was reaching its peak potential, it was really interesting to think about not just how success of that surgery would propel medical science forward, but the possible implications of it as well. So this episode was a perfect example of the trickiness of near future speculative fiction of the likes of, you know, something like The Handmaid's Tale, which is quite a bit of what I'm trying to do with the podcast and we'll do more of going forward. So Antonio and I started working on the episode before he announced the famous head transplant operation that never happened. After we introduced the idea of a fictional story and he announced publicly his attempt, we thought it would be a great idea to revolve the story around this real life event. Since we consider knowledge is located in our head, what better way to talk about knowledge than through chopping off heads? We created the first draft of a fictional episode where we tried to cheat. By cheating, I mean we wrote the first draft as if the head transplant had happened. So we kind of thought to ourselves, okay, what might be the operation of a decade happens, and then we use the media attention to help us with getting the podcast out there. And then he never did the operation. So you can imagine the position we were in, a sort of completed episode that we couldn't really use. So it was back to the drawing board, the writing table, to adjust the episode so it made sense. If the surgery had been performed successfully, what would that solve problems for the patient without adding new ones? So this is these are the type of questions we started asking. Would there be any mental consequences for the patient after his brain got a whole new body to control? Maybe like in some you know Black Mirror episode, the body would you know, implant foreign memories into the brain and the guy would develop a second personality. I don't know, it's interesting to think about and these were the the type of things that we were taking on, you know, in a black mirror type way. Um, It's such an interesting thought to ponder to the extent that if one or the other happens, it doesn't matter. In the same way, it doesn't really matter if we can or can't answer the question. If it ever happens, the question will become meaningless. So until it happens, we have an immensely intriguing thought in our hands. So basically, it's for you to think about, same as it is for us. You've said the episode could have been the best in the season, but you're not sure if it was. How did it change? And how did it change the podcast? So yes, on the first half of that question, I may have answered part of this already in one of the first episodes where I was talking about you know, how the podcast evolved. But the main problem here was just the timing of when we did this one. It was just too early in the season. And we were learning a lot about how to write the episodes as it was going along. I mean, not too too much prior to this, these weren't even fiction. So this was a first draft that we were then rewriting into this new story. And so these got finished first and they were 
a little rough around the edges in, in thematically, I guess I should say thematically, with the way the podcast evolved. So we didn't get to the embodiment of issues yet. And this was a challenging set of philosophy to present lightly in this episode. It was a little too blunt. You know, the philosophy here was out-of-the-box philosophy, not really integrated terribly well into the episode. In a way, it had to be that way because it was a red herring. You know, the the discussion about rationalism, empiricism, and skepticism was a red herring in the story. But it had to be a, a detailed and real red herring so they have the full conversation. But I think with a little more time and perspective and say, had I already written episodes EF 11, 12, and 13, which those started to get the podcast a little closer to what I think I want it to be in terms of the stories and how they work and the embodiment of these concepts that we're trying to, you know, delve into, I think this one could have been the best of the season. And, you know, for some people, some people really like it. It's definitely, it's definitely still probably my favorite in a way because it has this history for me of being the most important turning point of what the what the podcast could be about. There were two huge upsides to all this, though. We learned what the, the Evolve Pastor podcast could be, and it was really the first episode that I decided I was not going to give the answer at the end. I was going to leave it unresolved. As to the first part, so this is the point when I realized where I wanted the podcast to go. So in the direction of speculative fiction, which is balancing on the border of reality and, you know, that thing that might happen but still quite hasn't. Or, you know, it could go a little further towards sci-fi, you know, in the way like A Handmaid's Tale does. But, for instance, there's a high possibility that a head transplant will happen, but nobody really knows what the consequences of that are going to be. And fiction allows us to theorize about the possible consequences and serve as a window in the future if we use our critical thinking well. So in a way, this was the defining episode for us and to define Evolve Faster as, you know, primarily about speculative fiction and, you know, philosophical and psychological fiction as well, but thematically speculative fiction. So something similar to the likes of Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, The Handmaid's Tale, And then the unresolved ending. This was another critical aha moment or learning that I had, just personal evolution as as a writer. I you know I don't have that much experience, so this was kind of new for me, especially in a fiction context. This episode helped me kind of properly handle the management of a controversial topic, and put the onus back on the only person who should have to carry that weight, Antonio. I'm just kidding. The, the challenge of figuring out what should happen and what it will mean if it does happen is up to the listener. I, I know it bothers some people that, they, that I don't give the answer at the end about exactly what happened, but it's really critical to the podcast. And it became important because I didn't always realize what I might feel on this, on the topic at hand until I've written the episode from both sides. And then a lot of times I didn't know, and this is a case of that. Was the rationalism, empiricism, skepticism thing just a red herring, or is that legit rationale? Can I answer option C, or at least say both? That one was for Heidi, who hates but actually loves. 
the fact that I rarely ever just accept one of the options given to me. I always come up with my own, sometimes based off the other two, sometimes not. And I also tend to answer her questions with more questions. And my daughter seems to be kind of a carbon copy of me, so Heidi puts up with a lot. But anyway, back to the question. So yes, it's clearly the red herring, as I just said in a previous uh, answer. As far as the plot goes, Ament more or less admits it at the end. But no, in that the rationale is mostly spot on and relative to what we were able to stuff in to the, the plot arc here. And that content was the original purpose of the episode though it would have put people to sleep if that's all it was, it was just that that philosophical discussion. So the philosophy had to be massaged a little, some picking and choosing to get it to fit into the, the flow of the plot and conversation and have it fit this head transplantation rationale. It might be for Ament to catch Hunter on the wrong foot, but in no way does that undermine the wisdom, importance, or even the knowledge behind the three theories. And to me, that's the great part about this episode. So sure, the big twist and the change of focus right at the end is really fun. And it's, you know, hopefully it catches people off guard. But you have these three theories that will all make sense and build up the philosophical foundation for the coming psychological twist. So yes, the three theories became a red herring story-wise, even though previous versions, it was the story. But we felt it was definitely a legit rationale presented in their basic forms within the story. So naturally, there's so much more to all three than what's told here, all three of the different theories and lots of other thinkers. But if you found those interesting, please continue learning. We only have so much time in the episodes to try to take on huge bodies of knowledge and something that may have tens of thousands of words written about it across, you know, many, many books. And, you know, we try to sum it up in a paragraph or two. I can only stress people's brains out for so much in an hour. So we do have to pick and choose to thin down the heavy stuff. And I guess my one of my concerns about this episode is that it came early on in the writing um, and finalizing of the season. And I think I probably today going back to it would have thinned it down even more and got a little more to the point instead of having what can feel like, I think, to someone who's not interested in philosophy, like, you know, a 20-minute philosophy lecture that comes up in the middle of the episode. Do you make the music? That last track is intense. No, no. <laughs> if I were to attempt that, they'd literally never get released. Um, although I do play guitar and I sing in a band, but it's nothing like the stuff that's in the behind the episodes, which is, you know, full-spectrum ambient music. And it's definitely an entirely different music or of any form than what I play. So I'm happy to outsource to the ambient music experts. Before any of the episodes were even finished, I did a thorough search for tracks that I could use underneath the, the episodes because I really wanted to... I, I do love piecing... I, I'm the one that does all the music piecing together and building the flow of the, of the intrigue. I did a thorough search for tracks where I could I purchased like purchase tracks that I could buy for things that I thought would fit the podcast mood. And these are the the handful that I settled with for the first season. I'm hoping to have time to do different tracks for season two. And eventually I'd like to do maybe even custom music per track with, you know, maybe various artists or individual artists, someone interested in what I'm doing. So if you make this kind of music and you're interested in that kind of thing, 
you know, reach out to me. That'd be, that'd be great to talk. So luckily you can find many sources of great music on websites like Audio Jungle and Audio Blocks and Pond5. All I have to do is, you know, research what purpose a track and, and then I can find different options. So I did spend a lot of time, a lot of time searching for the right tracks for season one. So tracks that were long enough and varied enough. A lot of tracks you can buy are, you know, short, sometimes a minute, sometimes a few minutes. And because these are, you know, 45 minute to an hour long episodes, it can't be too repeating, but it also has to not be obtrusive. I, I tried out a lot of different ones and I'd have some tracks that were just great but then they had a section that the song crescendoed. And I just can't have that. It has to be, you know, you can increase the intensity, but you have to keep the intensity below the intensity of the narrative of the actual vocals, because otherwise it just gets too distracting. So I'm really happy with the way they turned out and it's very layered. And I'm, I'm very, I'm glad when someone compliments the music because it's certainly not inserted randomly at all, and it's definitely timed to work with different parts of the of the episode. And I'm just glad people can hear it because a lot of people don't listen on, you know, decent headphones or, you know, even car speakers can be really hard to hear the music. So, for instance, when the intense music kicks in, it means something big is happening, just no different than watching a, a Netflix show or something. So this serves almost as a subtle spoiler that doesn't necessarily spoil anything, but it hopefully just heightens the, the tension. So if you listen closely, you'll notice that the suspense and music building up is, is a clue. But naturally, it doesn't reveal what's going to happen, just keeps you alert. I've mentioned uh, my challenges with how people listen in a EF 14 or 15. I think I talked about the, I talked about the music production and how it's frustrating not knowing, because I've had people... I've actually had people say to me, it'd be really great to have some music in your thing. And then I realized that they're listening on really bad earbuds, which most of us do. I mean, I have bad earbuds that I listen to sometimes too. And when you do that though, it can't pick up the full spectrum of, of sound. And a lot of times the music just drops out. So unfortunately, some people don't even hear the music. This story was complex to follow. What were the challenges in writing it? So quote from the episode, we are the monster and you, Dr. Hunter, have the unique opportunity to be our Dr. Frankenstein. So I hope it wasn't too complex. And I answered this question in part in previous questions here. So I've said before, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes and it had a lot of, a lot of evolution. First was the knowledge acquisition and then it kind of evolved from there. So I went, was going through a long list of articles and stories idea, ideas that I keep in Evernote. And I, I originally had the head transplant slated to go into, I think, an episode in season three. But as I read back over it and my notes around what a story it could be, you know, this idea came back to me about, you know, the nerve centers that we have in our, our gut are becoming, it's becoming more and more obvious that all the processing is not going on in your brain. There's a lot going on in other nerve centers in your body, in particular your gut. It kind of made me realize there was a lot we could do with this story, especially related to the idea of knowledge acquisition. I kind of pulled this. So the big plot and, and the big twist is something I mulled over for, for weeks to try to figure out if, if I should do that or not. I felt it was a little risky at this point in the, the podcast because I hadn't figured out how to present 
controversial ideas yet. It just, you know, everything had, hadn't been something that was kind of polarizing. But what actually happened was that the fictional aspect changed that and forced me to present all sides of an issue like that. And that mindset shift really caused me to rethink every issue and every episode and everything because I had to remove my, my I didn't have to, but I, I ended up removing my personal opinion from any like single character. It just became researching the whole issue, thinking about what the implications of what was on the table. And it, it reduced this problem of it being about controversial ideas because it really was no longer my opinion. It, was, it really was a fictional thing that presented multiple sides of issues. So then I began the challenging process of trying to fit all of these pieces together. In the final rewrite, I restructured, restructured all of it to bring the drama right up front. So the, the versions that Antonio and I sent back and forth were, were good and they were getting close, but I was at a point in the podcast where I was going back through every episode and pulling the drama right up to the, the front. So I, I put this initial drama of what was about to happen and then I created this whole, this huge crescendo right before the second drama begins backstage. I may be misremembering a, a couple of points of how we built this episode, so apologize to Antonio if I if some of that drama to rebuild it came from you. I do remember it came from him. I do remember the the mental journey on this one fairly well, so I think it's fairly accurate. Probably, maybe. All recent research on the brain and memories points to the fact that humans almost entirely fabricate all their memories, so that's my excuse if I completely screw that up. So this is another example of, of the title having a major impact on the story. Once I, I think I wrote that line first, and I'll, I'll say we wrote that line first, but we, we had the line and then I made the title out of it. And then it was just, there was no turning back. Like once we had that idea, um, the decapitation of reason, that, that was the whole, then you, can, then you can structure a lot around that one, that one core metaphor. So I don't like doing this in behind the podcast or AMAs, but I am going to reveal a fairly major spoilers in the next couple questions. So if you really want to hear the episode, go listen to it now, because it's gonna it's gonna ruin the ruin the fun twist if if you go on and listen to the rest of these questions before hearing. Could we really discover if there is a soul? So a quote from the episode: "Centuries of progress of reason will be decapitated alongside your head." if the world is forced to acknowledge proof of an immaterial component to our existence. So discovering if there is a soul was a result of the brainstorming about the main topic for this episode, how can we know anything? It perhaps even overshadowed the initial theme of the episode, especially as we pushed the episode further and further. In a way, the very essence of the idea of is there a soul is the fact that we just can't know. There's a season three episode that's in a very rough outline right now, slated to be about this topic specifically, is there a soul? When I offered this up in our discussions, I was hesitant to even broach the subject this early, but it fit. So I don't know, it, it, was, it was just so intriguing to think about related to this head transplant that, that the consequences if one or the other thesis was proved. I mean, do I really have a soul? Do I need one? as I do a brain, a heart, or any other organ. With our current modes of thought, I'm not sure there's any possible way at the moment to prove the existence of the, of the soul, if, if it does exist. And 
Mystery is key to intrigue, which we were going for. So we can even say that the soul is, the, in a way, the mother of all intriguing concepts alongside things like what happens after we die and is there a god, which, by the way, both of those are also slated for season three, which season three, as it sits right now, if these outlines stay intact at all, has a lot of the big challenging questions and things will have to get a bit weird. But it's one of the core mysteries that's you know, been going on since the dawn of consciousness that creates such an enormous weight upon this concept and centuries of theological and philosophical debate. But as I said, the main point of the episode is to give it a moment and really think about the consequences if we somehow manage to prove either the existence or non-existence of the soul. The discovery would single-handedly crush so many beliefs and cornerstones of many other people's lives whether it was proved to exist or not exist. And that's what makes it so intriguing. And I hadn't really, until I sat, until I actually wrote through the episode and Antonio and I wrote drafts of this, it wasn't until then that you really start realizing the impact if it goes either way. You know, same as if you could somehow prove there was a, that God existed or not. Looking at it from that perspective, the, the character Ament isn't over-exaggerating, I don't think, when he says to Dr. Hunter, that he's asking him to help them shake the world from a dream that's been dreamt too long. But then in hushed tones, due to the levity of the situation, Dr. Hunter rightly replies and says, but we could also be responsible for decapitating reason if the experiment goes the other way. And I, re I really hadn't thought through those implications. It's, I, I, I talked about in EF 14 or 15 about the biggest thing I've learned from doing the podcast is that you don't really know what you think until you spend a lot of time writing it down. And this episode is a good example of one that really made me think and, you know, decide if I knew what I believed what I believed on this. You know, if you ask near-death experience researchers and believers, they've already proved that something passes on in their opinion. There's a book called Proof of Heaven by a surgeon, I think, who claims to have you know, passed over to the other side and then came back with proof. You know, I'll never call this heaven if it does exist because I still don't feel the religious perspective on heaven is a feasible concept, as I answered earlier. But could there be something beyond? Sure, but it would take extraordinary evidence to support that extraordinary claim, just like all claims, even scientific claims. And indi individual accounts just aren't sufficient. There's just way too much bias and memory fabrication going on in humans to call any individual account of anything reliable, especially when it's about an altered state of consciousness, namely dead, that we don't know, know very little about scientifically. Are some of the ND uh, near-death experience accounts weird and creepy in what they describe to, you know, what they know from seeing and hearing things that went on in their, you know, when they were supposedly dead? Yes, but we still don't have the technology yet to prove anything, and that's not extraordinary evidence. You know, then there's, of course, the dude in Australia you've probably heard who decided he was going to measure the weight of dogs pre- and post-death, and he claims he's proved that there's weight to the soul. I guess he's not really thinking about that whole immaterial part. Anyway, I don't think the extraordinary evidence will ever surface, personally. But to claim we will never and shouldn't try seems to me to be closed-minded. Hearing the on-paper theory about something spooky in quantum mechanics like superposition 
would also sound totally otherworldly until we actually have proved that it's true and have created it in the real world, which we have. And that's extraordinary evidence to support extraordinary claims. Firmly skeptical and dogmatic positions in science do exist, and generally they are counterproductive. There may never be an answer, but it's damn fun to speculate. Would the consequences be as bad as you predict? History being rewritten. A couple quotes from the episode. Exactly, Doctor. And I'm asking you, do you want to become the Darwin or Copernicus of the modern world? Another quote. And yet, Ament was right. This was one of those rare opportunities to actually make a mark and change the world forever. And possibly for the better. I don't think it would really change anything. Yes, I believe that you would have history being rewritten in, in a way if, if it was proven one way or the other. But I don't really think it would change anything. So I think it's one of these things that you can't convince people by facts about something like this. You know, going back to a previous, I think the last episode where I talked about the tree of knowledge versus the, you know, the, the tree of belief. The belief crowd fundamentally chooses to see the world differently than the knowledge crowd, which I see myself in the capacity as an open-minded skeptic. So all the proof in the world, just like with climate change, doesn't matter to someone who simply doesn't want to know. I came to feel that learning this could actually make the divide worse. Like if we were actually able to prove one way or the other, I think it would just amplify things. To me, the evidence of evolution is overwhelming, but it doesn't, it hasn't changed anything in the you know, creation versus evolution debate. It's just made the divide worse. So I also don't think this type of thing is what could change people's views on having a shared instead of a divided humanity and values. But that'll have to be the topic of another episode or season or book entirely. So the fascinating thing about this episode and this process is that it ended up the way it did because I wasn't sure how I felt about wanting to know anymore. So I guess my answer is yes, I hope we find out. But no, I'm not so sure it's going to make the rift between the knowledge-belief crowds any less treacherous or able to be bridged. So one last quote from the episode to sum it up. Precisely, Doctor, and I'm asking you to help us shake the world from a dream that's been dreamt too long. It's time for people to wake up. So that's all I've got time for here. So I think I said everything there is to say about creating this episode. Now I'd like to just wrap up why this episode was important to me, if, if it's not already obvious. My favorite line from this episode that still gets me excited about the story, even though I know what happens, is the line about the decapitation of reason itself. So this episode presented me with the first real existential questions behind the podcast itself. Do I have the skills and the guts to explore really important questions? Could I take on this drastic of a theme? Could I present both sides of this potential insanity fairly? And could I pull off a full episode, Red Herring, of applied philosophy as the reason for this transplant? Could I take a semi-real scenario and turn it into something that's used to get people talking about the real issues that I think people might want to be talking about? And luckily the answer turned out to be yes, and this is what I want the podcast to be about. Free thinking and blurring the lines between my opinions and the characters and the you know, age-old thinking on these 
problems from, from all sides that I have time to present. And I think I presented both the potential and the danger of something like this proving itself out one way or the other. And back then, when I was writing this, episodes like this one and the next episode, EF5, and episode EF11, were the push I needed to keep things going. So it also defined the style of the unresolved endings and showed me, even though the episode is far from perfect, that this speculative fiction style with twists and turns was possible and very fun to create. I guess I'd like to end here with a, with a thought experiment. So obviously we don't have to cut off heads to find out what is knowledge, but aren't we talking on this about the same challenges of the characters forging forward in the pursuit of truth? Are there some high stakes areas of your life that you're avoiding? Would you have the guts to change the world? How about just the guts to change your life? We all fight our own battles, just like the main two characters in this episode. So what's stopping us from winning? Someone else, or is it just us? So I'm going to end with a quote from Ian Ament from the episode, who was my favorite soapbox character of the season, although we had other good ones, like in episode EF11. But the last sentence of Ian's quote was written to sum up the point of the situation, but also of the Evolve Faster podcast. The sooner humanity debunks the great mystery, the faster we will gain new knowledge. You see, our goal isn't just to prove the theory, but we also want to shed light on the darkness. So that wraps up this Behind the Podcast for episode EF4. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have further questions, please submit them to evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. And the next episode will be an Ask Me Anything about the same episode, which those should be similar themes of questions, but more about the episode and concepts themselves and less about how and why um, I created the episode. So hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again and take care. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated. 
and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster. 